Christian singer Lauren Daigle blames ignorance for her silence on abortion. Chris Pratt thanks Jesus for helping him deal with the haters. And Biden says that white supremacy is the greatest terroristic threat to this country. But that's just not true. And we'll explain why on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. We were just say, uh, saying before the cameras and the mic turned on that we can't believe that it's already May 18th. Is that not crazy to you? May is crazy. May is like the Christmas season of spring. There's so much going on, especially for those of you who have kids that are already in grade school. There are so many things to do at the end of the year, which is not the case for my family, but still it's just gone by so quickly. And every week I take off or I change the little number on the countdown until the baby comes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this pregnancy has just absolutely flown by. For those of you who are on like your first pregnancy, just know that every subsequent pregnancy goes by more and more quickly because you're busier. There's goods and there's bads to that. I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, no one really likes waiting when you're anticipating something so exciting. But also, I feel totally unprepared. I mean, you would think I'm prepared because I've given, you know, or I've had two babies before. But, um, you know, I've talked about before, neither of my births were the easiest things in the world. They were pretty traumatic, actually. And so I really wanted to prepare for this birth and I really haven't done very much at all. I haven't done very much at all. Um, I've done a few things, but I'm telling myself I'm going to get in the right mindset in the coming months as the as the summer comes. It's going to be a hot few months. I don't really recommend being in your last trimester for the hottest months of the year, but alas, that is how that is how God ordained it for the Stucky family. And it'll be great. I'll just, I don't know, maybe I'll be able to find a pool to float in or something like that. And it'll ease my pain and my sweat. Um, another random thing that I wanted to say before we get into today's stories. So last night I had the most random dream ever. And if you just want to interpret this dream for me, I would love for you to. I haven't done this in a long time. We used to do these segments where you guys would tell me a weird dream that you had. You would send a voicemail, something we also haven't done in a while. Um, or I would tell you my dream and you would interpret it. Can someone please tell me why someone who I have literally never thought about in my life and probably haven't even seen a news story about in months was in my dream babysitting my children? And that is Pete Davidson. Why was Pete Davidson like totally casual? I knew in my dream who he was. I had to go somewhere and he was babysitting just one of my kids, which seems like terrible choice of babysitters. I mean, maybe he would be fine, but just very, very strange. But he walked in his Pete Davidson self. And, you know, I think I was I told him how much I was going to pay him. And it was I was telling him, you know, all these different things that he needs to make sure of. And he was actually like a very adept babysitter, very good with kids in my dream. And I just laughed and I was like, yep, this is just a normal part of my life. Pete Davidson comes over some evenings and he babysits our kids. I would love for someone to tell me why in the world, why in the world? Let me tell you about another dream I have, because this one actually is ripe for interpretation. This has nothing to do with Pete Davidson. None of my dreams ever have anything to do with Pete Davidson except for last night. So I have this dream. And last night, I this is Inception, y'all. I had a dream 
like about this dream, I was telling someone else that I have this recurring dream in my dream last night. And my recurring dream is that I am enrolled in classes. Like it's, it usually looks like my high school, but I think in my, my mind, in my dream, it is college. And I realized like halfway through the semester that I've been enrolled for this in this math class that I just never went to because I didn't want to go to. But I realized at the end of the semester, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to fail and I'm not going to be able to graduate. I have that dream all the time. And I have so much anxiety in the dream of like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I go to this class? Did I think that they were just going to give me an A? I don't know. There's definitely some meaning behind that. If Brie were on the mic, I would make her give me her interpretation. Maybe she can give me her interpretation. Brie says that she has that dream too. My husband has, or he used to have that dream. He doesn't have that dream anymore, but he used to have the dream like right after we graduated from college that he didn't complete all his required classes in order to graduate and that he never actually got his diploma. I don't think mine is actually attached to school because I don't care about that. It must be something else that I'm just afraid. Maybe it's birth. I'm afraid that I'm going to be unprepared for that. And at the last minute, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't prep for it. But maybe it's something even deeper than that. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts. All right. We're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about Christian celebrities or celebrities who call themselves Christians and some comments that they've made. Lauren Daigle, Chris Pratt. If we have time, we're also going to get into Biden's white supremacy comments. Finally, I've been wanting to talk about that and react to that. And then also attached to that, this crazy story where a BLM activist falsely accused this white college student of saying something hateful or committing a hate crime. And it's all for clicks. It's all because that's where the power lies. So if we don't have time to talk about those things today, we will talk about them next week because they are important. But um, I'll go ahead and tell us about our first sponsor for the day before we get into this Lauren Daigle uh, Lauren Daigle story. And that is naturally it's clean. I think I get more messages about these products than any other product. And it's because a lot of these companies, a lot of these cleaning companies, they've gone woke. They share their anti-police, anti-life, anti-traditional marriage, anti-common sense understanding of male and female on social media. And you're like, what the heck? I can't even clean my carpet anymore without some kind of political message being thrown at me. And by the way, a lot of this stuff is greenwashed. It's not even as natural as they say that it is. And so you're looking for an alternative. That's why I love Naturally It's Clean. It's a company that is patriotic. They actually do align with our values. They don't care about pushing their politics down your throat. They just want you to have a quality uh, cleaning regimen. And that's what they supply for you. They use plant-based enzymes, no nasty chemicals. This is like hospital grade strength, but without all the fake stuff. They don't have any fake fragrances or anything like that. In fact, if you want something to be totally fragrance-free, they have lots of fragrance-free options. I love their multi-surface cleaner. I just used their incredible, incredible carpet cleaner the other night. There was a paint spell. That's something that happens on a pretty regular basis. And I had to get it out of like the, you know, the bottom, the dregs of our carpet. And I used Naturally It's Clean carpet cleaner and it really worked. I'm going to post a picture of that on Instagram because it really is super effective and it's safer for your whole family. Go to naturallyitsclean.com slash Allie. Get an additional 15% off for a limited time. Naturallyitsclean.com slash Allie for 15% off. Naturallyitsclean.com slash Allie. 
Lauren, 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 Lauren. So, Lauren Daigle, 31 years old. Uh, we're the same age. That's cool. A two-time winning Grammy artist. She is a, a contemporary Christian artist. Now, she sings a lot of those songs that are, they could be applied to a romantic relationship, but they're really about God. They're really good. Like, she's extremely talented. Not only does she have a good voice, she has a very unique persona. I think a magnanimous persona, extremely likable, seems like a really fun hang. And she's been on the Ellen Show. She's had a lot of mainstream success because she truly is so talented. She sells out her shows. And I think people of all different kind of faith backgrounds like her and there are a lot of goods to that okay the message that she's conveying in a lot of her song uh, a lot of her songs are um they're really good and they're the kind of messages that you want to be received especially by an unbeliever but i do think with mainstream popularity comes a particular kind of pressure to conform or to at least play dumb when it comes to controversial issues like, for example, LGBTQ or like abortion. And she recently made some comments about abortion or she refused to make some comments about abortion that is now getting people that are now getting people talking. But let me back up a little bit because this is not the first time people have taken issue with things that she said. I actually made a video in response to her comments about homosexuality in 2018. Uh, she was in an interview with at, at the Dominic Nady show in 2018. And uh, that's on iHeartRadio. And the host asked Daigle, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? And she said, I can't honestly answer on that. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that they are homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it. I can't say one way or another, I'm not God, which is an absolutely terrible response as a Christian. It's an absolutely terrible response, but it's also very normal, not even just for the celebrity Christian that is trying to please everyone in and outside of the Christian faith, but also just, I think, for Christians in general who think that they need to take God off the hook, that God is just too harsh, like the Bible is just a little bit too mean, it's too clear, it's too truthful, so we need to soften what the Word of God says, either by playing dumb, refusing to look to what the Word of God says, uh, about something because we don't want to know because then we'll feel responsible to actually carry that truth into the public sphere. And that's a scary thing, knowing the pushback that you're going to get. Um, or we just kind of skirt around it. We soften it. We caveat it. We nuance it to the point where we're not even really saying what God said anymore because we think that God is not as compassionate as us. We think that he's not as empathetic. He's not as loving. He's not as kind. He's not nice enough for us or for the world. And so when we are asked this kind of uh, question about something that the Bible is absolutely clear on, we kind of backpedal or we kind of just uh, cover up what it actually says because we don't want to be too mean. But what do we always say on this podcast is that you can't outlove God. First John 4, 8 says God is love. That same God that is love also made us male and female, created marriage. In the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we use this alliteration a lot. Uh, the reality of male and female, 
the definition of marriage is between one man and one woman is rooted in creation. We see that in Genesis 1. It's reiterated throughout scripture. We see that, for example, in the command to honor your father and mother. It is repeated by Jesus himself, Matthew 19, 4 through 5. It is representative of Christ in the church. We see that metaphor or representation in Ephesians 5, and therefore it is reflective of the gospel. The Bible starts with the marriage. It ends with a marriage. The definition of marriage is between man and woman is not arbitrary. It wasn't um, um a historical cultural artifact that we can just move on past. It is actually a core principle of Christianity because we are told it has spiritual and eternal significance. That definition of male and female, that biological definition of male and female and the joining together of male and female in marriage is absolutely essential to Christian theology. And once you give way on that, you start to give way on other issues too, because you're basically saying that you don't only you don't believe in the creation account. Like you don't believe in Genesis one. You also don't believe Jesus in Matthew 19, four through five. You don't believe in Ephesians five. You don't believe there's any significance in the Bible starting with a marriage and ending with a marriage between Christ and the church. You're actually saying that Christ being the bridegroom and the church, the bride, that that's just a totally meaningless metaphor or reality uh, that we see depicted in scripture. So you can see how once you start compromising on gender and marriage, you really start falling apart theologically. I don't know if that's what's happened really behind the scenes with Lauren Daigle, but there's really no excuse for someone who is a Christian and claims to be a strong enough Christian to be able to sing publicly and speak publicly about Christianity to the world to not know the answer to something so basic and so fundamental. Um, And now she is talking about abortion using kind of the same strategy. So in an interview with The Guardian, she responds to a question that the reporter had specifically on abortion. She's from Louisiana. So the reporter asks, what do you think about the near total ban on abortion that went into effect in Louisiana last year? She says, I don't know. I'm terrible. I know that we have a Democrat governor, but I don't know what our abortion laws are in Louisiana. The reporter says there can't be many 30-something women who can afford to remain similarly uninformed. Now, I actually believe that Lauren Daigle doesn't know anything about the Louisiana law. I actually believe that. She has kind of had a history of straddling the line. She apparently attends a church that's both Democrats and Republicans And she has even talked about before in light of the Trump presidency, how her views on politics and the need to speak up have kind of changed. But she's really tried to straddle the line. She's really tried to not get too political. And she either feigns ignorance or she really is ignorant about these political issues, not even political issues. They're really theological issues that have become political, like marriage and abortion. Um, And she backs away from them. And, you know, my initial reaction actually on Twitter when I saw that she said this was, you know what, we just need to normalize the celebrities saying that they don't know about something when they really don't know. Don't pretend like you're an expert on something if you're not. And I will give her kudos for that. I appreciate that she didn't spout some nonsense about reproductive rights and about 
empathy for women and reproductive justice and things like that, because she could have done that. She could have made this a social justice issue. She could have even said something about being pro all life or holistically pro life. Or she could have said, you know, I don't think that the law can really change hearts. We need to protect all life and make sure that we're serving moms. I would have been really annoyed. I would have been more annoyed by an answer like that because I would understand that underneath an answer like that really is ignorance, but she's acting like she knows something about it and she's just spouting talking points that she's heard before. So I actually prefer her response here, that she has no idea what the Louisiana law is and so she cannot comment on it. I do appreciate that. However, I heard some of the pushback that you guys gave me on Twitter saying, look, there's no excuse for a Christian not to have an answer. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for a Christian not to be able to say that life inside the womb matters and that we should be doing everything that we can to protect a child from being murdered. That's, again, not primarily a political or culture war issue for a Christian. That's primarily a theological issue. That's very fundamental. Again, goes back to the first chapter of the Bible that we are all made in God's image. And so I hear you on that. I heard that pushback and I agree with it. I still think that what she said, just saying, I don't, I have no idea, is better than her repeating some kind of social justice, left-wing, progressive, nuanced take on like why abortion should be legal, which I think a lot of people in her position just do by default. But you're right. She should have been able to have an answer for something that is so incredibly basic because I think that this kind of makes an excuse for a lot of Christians to not be thoughtful about these things and to not have an answer for them and to even think, you know what, it's okay for me to remain ignorant about something like abortion. It's okay. It's it's actually a form of humility for me to say, I don't know if homosexuality is a sin. And that's wrong. Like that's dangerous territory that you're walking into. That's so like, one, that's not the responsibility of a Christian just to be ignorant. And at this point, you're choosing to be ignorant about abortion, right? Like if you're ignorant about what an abortion is, if you're ignorant about what the Bible has to say about homosexuality and marriage, and you've called yourself a Christian for a long time, like you're choosing that. That's a choice. At some point that actually becomes a sin. It's not just um, a mistake or a lack of sanctification. Like you are choosing not to go there, either public or even privately, because you know that it is going to be very difficult to have to carry that truth with you and give a controversial answer when you are asked these tough questions. That's actually a sin because you're living in light of your fear of man rather than your fear of God. The truth is we should always have an answer about what the Bible says about homosexuality we should always have an answer about what the God, what the Bible says, what God says about gender. We should always have an answer about what the Bible has to say about things like abortion. That doesn't mean you have to be mean. You don't have to be harsh. You can you can try to be as kind as possible, but that doesn't mean that you should compromise on clarity. I don't want someone who has looked up to as much as Lauren Daigle to give other Christian women an excuse for ignorance or an excuse for apathy. That's another thing. I think sometimes this kind of apathy and this kind of fake humility is seen as, as seen as some kind of form of godliness. It's not godly to not care about the slaughter of babies in the womb. What do we say? We say that politics matters because our politics matter, because policies matter, because people matter. Politics affects policy. 
policy affects people and people matter. There's no greater example than that, um, than abortion. And so there's really not an excuse for Lauren Daigle at this point. I, I don't think that she needs to wade into every political issue. I really don't. I don't think that she needs to weigh in whenever there's a news story about something controversial or something so-called social justice related. I don't want these people to pretend like they're political experts when they're clearly not. But again, when it comes to these clearly biblical issues, when the Bible is so clear, thou shalt not mar- murder. The Bible is so clear. God made us male and female. Like we should be able to easily stand on God's word without caveat, without apology, without nuance. There's actually so much privilege in that, that in this culture of chaos and confusion and cowardice through the clarity of God's word, through the trustworthiness of God's word, we get to be vessels of clarity and of courage. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful privilege that we have, that we don't have to look to the changing definitions in the culture to tell us what is and what isn't, what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's true and what's false, what's male and what's female. We have it all in the text. We have it all in God's word. So let's rely on that. Let's not be pretend like we're dumb on these things or truly be dumb on these things, because at this point, again, there's no excuse. And I think this kind of ignorance slash apathy which, as I said, is sinful, has landed us exactly where we are as a country. If Christians had always been clear, had always been strong, I just don't know if we would be in the insane place that we are right now. But because in the name of fake, toxic, superficial empathy, Christians have acted like the so-called culture wars are beneath them, we're in a whole lot of trouble. And kids are at risk, most importantly, Babies in the womb are at risk. So what we say in these kind of interviews matters. Doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, but we do need to be prepared. All right, let's move on to some other Christian comments that were made by a professing Christian celebrity, Chris Pratt. Um, Let me tell you about our next sponsor first, and that is Good Ranchers. You guys know I love Good Ranchers so much. Let's see, what did we eat last night? Last night we ate chicken again. This was the pre-marinated, I think it's Italian chicken, and had it with some vegetables and a little bit of pasta and some goat cheese, and it was really good. I'm telling you, we eat Good Ranchers every single night that we're eating at home because it's so easy. About four o'clock, I take out whatever meat I want, and I thaw it, and then you just have to figure out your sides, which is super simple, and it's really healthy. This is all American meat. It's ethically raised. It's sustainably sourced. Like, aren't you looking for ways to make your life more efficient? Aren't you looking for another America-loving? loving Christian conservative company to support, then you just need to get all your meat from Good Ranchers. It shows up at your front door on dry ice. They've got seafood. They've got beef. They've got different cuts of steak. They've got different kinds of chicken. I would just subscribe because then you've got that reliable box of meat on your front door every month. But if you just want to try it out, you can just order a box, see if you like it. This is also a great Father's Day gift, by the way. Like order your dad, order your baby daddy, your husband, a box of meat. It's a great, great gift. Um, Also, they're giving back. They donate 10 meals for every box ordered. They're donating 10 meals to Americans in need for every box ordered. So it's just as Michael Scott would say, a win, 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 win. 
win. Uh, you can use my code Allie for $30 off at GoodRanchers.com today. Go to GoodRanchers.com, American Meat Delivered. Use code Allie for $30 off. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. All right. Chris Pratt. Um, he recently said in an interview at a Cinema Society screening of his upcoming movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This is another thing like Marvel or uh, whatever, uh, the Avengers. I that I that What I'm trying to say is I don't know. I don't know the difference between any of these superhero movies. I'm sorry, Chris Pratt. I tend to like you a lot. Loved you in Parks and Rec. Um, and I'm a fan of your work, but I don't know what Guardians of the Galaxy is. But I think it's very popular. So he was interviewing... Um, about this at the, you know, the screening of this movie. And here's what he had to say. I admire you so much for being open about your faith. Oh, thank Um, you. Do you feel like, I I feel like you sometimes get for that. Do you feel like that's a hard thing? Oh, yeah, I sure do. But that's nothing new. That's nothing new. You know, if I was of this world, they would love me just like that. But as as it is, I'm chosen out of this world. That's uh, John uh, 15, 18 through 20. It's the way it is. It ain't nothing new. 2000 years ago, they hated him too. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that he cited scripture. Also, he's right. It's not always easy to um, cite references on the fly. I am not good at that. I am I am good at calling to mind the verse, but calling to mind the actual chapter in verse, that is difficult. And yet he did it. He did it in an interview, and I really appreciate that. So I just want to read the verse that he's referring to, and he is talking about John 15. And Let's just allow this to encourage us too. So let me read you from John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me, Jesus says, before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Um, And then Jesus goes on to continue to encourage, basically, um, just promising persecution, that there is hardship, there's tribulation, there are trials that are inherent in the Christian life. They're actually guaranteed in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. That's why the prosperity gospel that we see from several teachers like Joel Osteen, basically saying that actually inherent in the Christian life is some kind of guarantee of a promotion, guarantee of greater success, guarantee of health, wealth in this life. It's so wrong. It's so incredibly misguided because we never see that in the gospels. That's not the message that Jesus conveys at all. That's not what we see in the epistles. That's not what we see in the Old Testament. That's not what we see in Revelation. That's not to say we might not have wonderful blessings in this life. I mean, God is so incredibly gracious that he does very often give us wonderful things. Sometimes he does increase someone's estate. He does allow you to have a promotion. He does give you more influence. He does allow you to get married and have children and take part in all of these wonderful gifts of grace. But he doesn't have to do those things. If God never gave you any good thing here in this life, like if he never gave you anything that your heart desires as far as material wealth and influence and and relationships and things like that, he would be just as good and just as gracious and just as generous because he sent his only son to die for us. That is enough. Like that is the good news of the Christian life. 
that is what we have hope in. That is what gives us our joy that, wow, we get to one day escape all this and we get to spend eternity with God. And wow, I have forgiveness of my sins. He really does forgive me of my sins and he paid the debt that I owe. That's what gives us joy. That's what makes us happy. That's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, not that we might become famous or rich or whatever it is. So that's why I think the prosperity gospel is so damaging because it actually detracts from the joy of the gospel and it tries to put your joy and your hope and your expectation and all of these other things which are here today and are gone tomorrow. And so I actually love that Chris Pratt referenced this and he has been, I mean, obviously he's very successful. And so it's not like he has been excluded from Hollywood because of his faith yet. But I mean, he has received his fair share of criticism. He has, you know, been called a homophobe or whatever, because apparently the church that he attended at one point believed in traditional marriage. Now, I don't know that he's ever put out any kind of strong stance on that. I would be very surprised um, if he did. But I I do appreciate this interaction here. That's the way it is. Nothing new. 2000 years ago, they hated him, too. And of course, I couldn't say Chris Pratt couldn't say that the whole world hates us in the same way that they um, hated Jesus. I'm very thankful for the platform that I had. I'm sure he's very thankful for the success that he has attained. But in the sense that there is pushback, certainly against the faith, especially in Hollywood, that's absolutely true. And I don't even believe in like diminishing that as by saying, well, he's rich, he's successful. And so he's never really endured any kind of persecution. I don't think that that's fair either. I think that we can say that someone has received some form of persecution, even if they're not being martyred in China or in the Middle East. I do think that there is a spectrum, and I've heard John Piper talk about this before, that whether it's slander or whether it's just criticism, whether it's martyrdom, torture, losing your job, like wherever it is, on the um, on the spectrum of persecution, it is counting towards something that it still matters. And Romans eight eighteen says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us." And I think that that includes any and all forms of true suffering and true persecution. So I hope that he continues to stand firm. Look, the heat is going to get even hotter. I mean, I, I just hope and pray that when he is tested, like when he is pressed on what do you think about marriage? What do you think about gender? What do you think about abortion? That he would just say, you know, the word of God is good enough. And if I lose my money, if I lose my career, if I lose my accolades, if I lose my reputation, it is worth saying what is true. Like, I wish that those weren't like, they're not the only litmus tests, but they are a part, I think, of the litmus test these days. Like, they are. They just are. And I'm not saying that they're just as important as acknowledging John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But they're all part of that because like, these are the most controversial topics of today. So if you're not willing to stand on them, it does tell us like how you actually feel about God and how you actually feel about the trustworthiness and the truth of his word and who you fear. So um, he's talked about how Jesus helps him struggle and deal with the haters. And if you look, I saw someone that 
posted like these screenshots of people just absolutely hating on Chris Pratt over and over again for saying anything about Christianity. I won't even read you, but you can, I mean, you can see we'll put some of them up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. And people really do just hate Chris Pratt. They also were mad at him because on Mother's Day, he did this tribute to his current wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger, and his mother-in-law, and I think his own mother, but did not publicly thank Anna Ferris, who is the mother of his first child, his son. And I, you know, I kind of understand that it's, I mean, it is difficult when it comes to those things because we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Like, I don't have no idea what kind of mother Anna Ferris is. I don't, we don't know the truth about their lives. I think, of course, part of us is like, yeah, you probably should have said something about the wife of your first child, even if you don't have the greatest relationship, even if the marriage ended up tragically ending. But People are also just trying to find an opportunity to pick holes in the things that he says. Anyway, my hope is that he stands firm. Uh, My hope is that uh, the Lord keeps him, continues to sanctify him, draws not just him, but his uh, entire family uh, to himself, to to God, and that they just continue to um, stand firm. All right. We got a couple more things to talk about. We got some time. I'm going to try to end this in under an hour this time. We'll see how we do. Let me go ahead and pause and tell you about our next sponsor. And that is Seven Weeks Coffee. So Seven Seven Weeks Coffee's mission is to promote godly values, provide excellent coffee, and protect every beating heart. Seven Weeks Coffee is called Seven Weeks Coffee because... At seven weeks gestation, the baby is the size of a little coffee bean. And so the people who started seven weeks coffee, they're awesome people. They wanted a way to sell amazing high quality coffee and also support life to do everything that they can to save those lives from abortion. And so they donate 10% of every sale to pregnancy care centers across America. They have raised over a hundred thousand dollars in their first year because of these sales and now they are supporting over 500 centers across america these pregnancy centers are providing women with amazing resources to make sure that they are supported in either keeping their child and parenting or um, allowing their child to be put up for adoption. And so these pregnancy centers are just absolutely incredible. And Seven Weeks Coffee is helping support them. And so if you buy coffee, you might as well buy your coffee from Seven Weeks Coffee. It's really good coffee, but you're also literally saving lives when you do. And you get 10% off if you use my code. So go to sevenweekscoffee.com and use code Allie at checkout for 10% off. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Use Allie for 10% off. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Code Allie. All right. Let's talk about this Biden white supremacy clip. I wanted to be able to get to this because it's so absolutely ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. All right. Let's roll the tape. Stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go. Wherever he goes. Dairy Queen. Home. Hey. 
as in wise promising guest in the nation. And people are like, sir, this is a Dairy Queen. Are you okay? Um, so I don't know if you even understood anything that he just said at the beginning there. I didn't. He looks very, very old, and I genuinely find that sad. Um, but he is obviously saying this because he is at a historically black college. He is giving a commencement address at Howard University last weekend. And he said, stand up against the poison. White supremacy is the single most dangerous threat to our homeland. And I'm not just saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say this wherever I go with your voices and votes. I was able to fulfill my commitment to put the first black woman on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And by the way, she is brighter than the rest. She is one bright woman. You hear that, Sotomayor? Sorry. Sorry, little Latina. We've got Katanji Brown Jackson. She's brighter than you. Because of you, you turned up. You showed up when the votes counted. Yes, about 90% of black Americans do vote Democrat. Hasn't really changed. Maybe that's waned a little bit in recent years, but uh, that's that's how it is. They they typically vote Democrat. Um, now, is Biden correct that white supremacy is the greatest threat to our nation? Not even close. It doesn't even make the top 50 threats to our nation. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who consider themselves white supremacists. I actually just had a psychologist on who talked about the rabbit hole that is on the Internet that leads these these young men who are lonely, who are purposeless, who are involuntarily celibate in many cases into these kinds of forums that foment all kinds of hate against women, against Jewish people, against anyone who is not white. So I'm not saying that there aren't people here, even inherently violent people here, who consider themselves ideologically white supremacist. But in comparison to the other threats that we have, the other violent threats that we have in our country, is white supremacy even close to the top issue, the top threat that we have? No, it's not even close. If you just look at the numbers, based on the crime statistics that we've got from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, it is far more likely for a white person to be killed by a black person than the other way around. And unfortunately, black men commit a disproportionate number of violent crimes and specifically murders in this country. Like 60% of all violent crime committed by Black Americans, even though they only make up 13% of the population, and really it's less than that because it's about 6% because it's typically black men who are committing these violent crimes. I think about 40% of all murders are committed by this 6% of the population. Now, most of this is intraracial violence, which, by the way, it's so funny when people say it was intraracial violence. It's black people killing black people. Does that mean that we shouldn't care about it? Does that mean that it doesn't count? Does that mean that those that, that threat of violence doesn't matter? Because that's really revealing, I think, when people use that as a point to just, well, let's dismiss this as an issue. I happen to care that also black men, black people make up a disproportionate number of murder victims, of violent crime victims in this country. Like, shouldn't we care about that? But even if you're looking at interracial violence, so you're looking between a black person and a white person, a black person, and an Asian person, whatever it is, that's still wildly disproportionate. It should not be that a small percentage of the population accounts for such a large number of murders against people in other races as well. 
Yes, it's most likely for a white person to kill a white person. It's most likely for a black person to kill a black person, a Hispanic person to kill a Hispanic person. But actually, when it comes to Asians, it is most likely for a black person to kill an Asian person than for an Asian person to kill an Asian person. Again, Bureau of Justice Statistics, FBI crime data. And again, it is far more likely for a white person to be killed by a black person than vice versa. And actually, there have been several stories recently of this is so tragic, but black men, typically black young men, killing a white person because they wanted to kill a white person. There was this horrible story in New Orleans. There was this 65-year-old homeowner. He was outside someone's house and um, he was fixing their mailbox. And then two young men who happened to be black, their names were... um, Their names were Taj Matthews and Maurice Holmes, 23 and 25 year old. They just drove up to this guy who was outside a home fixing this mailbox and shot him through the chest and he died. And when they asked, why did you do this? Um, Matthews said they just wanted to kill a white person. Um, This is not all that uncommon, actually. If you're not on Twitter, it's kind of difficult to find these stories. And if you don't follow the right people who are actually reporting on these. But you see, these kind of stories are typically reported as local crime stories, stories that have no national value that we shouldn't talk about, that shouldn't count towards terrorism. They shouldn't count as hate crimes, um, but rather should just be kind of pushed to the side as um, something that could be taken care of on the state or local level. Of course, if the races were reversed, this would be an entire news cycle for probably weeks, especially going into the summer. That's typically when riots and protests happen. And then you would see all of the evangelicals for Biden talking about how racist and horrible this country is. But when it's black people perpetrating this kind of violence against white people, it's to be brushed under the rug. And this is this is what my whole big thing was when the George Floyd incident happened and why I was willing to be one of the people standing up and saying and calling out these Christians for posting the black square and for, you know, crying out for justice and things like that is that you never heard a peep from these people when the police officers kill a white person unjustifiably. You never hear a peep from these people when black people kill white people or black people kill Asian people because of their race. And so they're guilty of the sin of partiality. They're guilty of being uh, dictated uh, by the media and allowing their compassion to wax and wane based on what the news cycle is. That's not Christian love. That's not justice. That's not the impartiality and true compassion that Christians are called to. That's virtue signaling. That is a very self-serving form of lazy activism that has nothing to do with biblical justice or love. And so unless you are also talking about these cases where clearly like there is some kind of ethnic animus animus. Uh, going on here underneath these kinds of crimes, then I I really don't want to hear you talk about it when the races are reversed just because it's popular, just because you're going to get some social or racial justice points. Again, this is much more likely in this country than the reverse. These kinds of crimes are much more likely. 
Another very similar story just happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. According to Fox News, a black man has been charged. It's interesting that Fox News capitalizes black. Has been charged with fatally shooting two white strangers in the back of the head in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as part of what authorities are calling a racially motivated hate crime. Carlton Guilford allegedly shot and killed two men to whom he did not have any connection on April 18th, according to the Tulsa Police Department. Police said Gifford, who according to jail records is homeless, went inside uh, the Rudisil Library around 940, walked up to a man sitting behind a desk, shot him in the back of the head. After the library shooting, Guilford went to a nearby Quick Trip convenience store and shot 55-year-old James McDaniel in the back of the head. So execution style killed both of these men and said, uh, according to Tulsa County District Attorney Steve Kunzweiler, the evidence suggests Guilford, who is black, shot both men because they were white. The prosecutor did not elaborate. So apparently he's being charged with a hate crime. I have mixed feelings about hate crimes um, because every murder is motivated by hate, although I understand that it carries with it maybe different kinds of consequences. But um Again, I mean, these are just two stories that have a, have happened in the past few weeks. If there was a story where the races are reversed, we would have heard about it. Again, if white supremacy were the greatest terroristic threat, the greatest violent threat to this country, we would all know about it. We would all be able to give detailed examples every week of these kinds of threats happening. So I'm not saying that we should that we should think any differently about people based on their skin color inherently, that they have a higher propensity uh, towards violence innately. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the truth. I think in order to be truthful people, in order to be impartial people, in order to be just people, we have to be able to see past the narratives and see things as they really are. So why would Biden say this? Because it allows Democrats to get power. Yes, he's saying this because he's at a black college. It encourages more people to vote for him. If you can say we're defeating white supremacy over here on the Democrat Party um, then and you vote for us, they'll get more power to do the things that they actually want to do, which have nothing really to do with helping black people. Um, and it just creates the chaos and the animus that I think a lot of people in charge really like, because the more anarchy and hate you create, the more I think you rely on a big power to come in and save the day. And that's what those who want to dramatically grow the power of the government desire to do. Um, all right. Uh, we got one more story. I, I have a little bit of time. I have a little bit of time to get into it. And so I'll explain this on this same note, just kind of showing where the power really lies when it comes to these racial issues. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is Freedom Project Academy. So we know that the university system, the education system in our country has been completely taken over by progressive ideology. And if you don't want your child to be inundated, indoctrinated with that kind of stuff, if you actually want them to be prepared for the real world, learn how to critically think, then you need to check out Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected online learning, offering live on demand and homeschool courses for 
kindergarten through 12th grade. It was based on biblical values, classical curriculum. They're dedicated to mastery of subject matter, really teaching kids how to think. And man, we really need critical thinkers that know how to communicate and argue well. You can save 10% on tuition when you enroll today at freedomforschool.com. That's freedomforschool.com. Save 10% on tuition today. Just check it out. I think that you'll really love it. Go to freedomforschool.com, freedomforschool.com. Okay, this is a crazy, crazy story that I've been meaning to talk about. I first saw it at the beginning of May, so it's a couple weeks late, but I bet a lot of you haven't seen it. Of course, it's not going to be on CNN. It's not going to be reposted by your favorite social justice influencers. So you got to rely on me to talk about it. Um, In 2020, this is according to Reason Magazine, Morgan Bettinger, a UVA student, was accused on social media and on news outlets of telling protesters they would make good effing speed bumps. It was more than a year before investigations cleared her. The allegations first attracted attention after Ziana Bryant, a 19-year-old UVA student and social justice activist, made them on Twitter during the Black Women Matter demonstration. So Morgan is white. uh, Ziana is black. Diana is saying that during these black women demonstrations, this white girl, Morgan Bettinger, basically said that, um, you know, we're going to run you over. Uh, The woman in this truck, this is what Ziana Bryant said, approached protesters in Charlottesville and told us that we would make good speed bumps. She then called the police and started crying, saying we were attacking her. Bryant also posted a series of videos, not of the alleged speed bump comment itself, but of its aftermath. In the videos, an SUV reverses down the street while Bryant and several other protesters follow. It's a Karen. It's a Karen, Bryant taunts. Charlottesville Beyond Policing, the group that organized the protest, Beyond Policing, it's like Beyond Meat, uh, gave more details than immediate post shortly afterward. The woman drove around the public works truck blocking the street that demonstrators were convened on and felt compelled to say not just once but twice that protesters would make good speed bumps. The second time she repeated it loudly to a black protester and added the F word. Um, So this story was then picked up by local journalists like Seville, Charlottesville Weekly, UVA professors and students on campus. She was quickly identified using her license plate because the protesters took videos of her her car driving away. Bryant began a campaign to send mass complaints to school administrators demanding Bettinger's expulsion. In the year that followed, Bettinger was the subject of multiple investigations. One of them from the UJC would find her guilty of threatening the health or safety of students as punishment she would be expelled, meaning that she was allowed to continue her schooling, but that a second violation of the same standard of conduct would likely result in actual expulsion. Uh, she was. She also faced a litany of other sanctions, but Bettinger denied this. She denied that she made this threat. Despite two separate investigations, there's no evidence beyond Bryant's allegations that Bettinger said protesters would make good effing speed bumps or that she threatened the protesters um, at all. And Bryant's most damning claim that Bettinger had told protesters that you know, they should die, had no corroborating witnesses, even though it allegedly occurred in front of a a crowd of more than 30 people. Um, But none of this, the the details that kind of clear her or show that there's no evidence would come out until a year later in June 2021, with the result of the investigation kept largely under wraps. The only story that most UVA students heard, the one reported or repeated over group chats, Twitter threads, and Zoom meetings with almost manic fervor, 
was Bryant's. Now, here's what um, Betteringer says. She says that it was July 17, 2020. She was driving home from work near downtown Charlottesville. She saw a dump truck blocking the road ahead. She didn't know that the road was entirely closed. She drove around the 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 dump truck and ended up near the Black Women Matter protest. And then she said that they had a polite conversation or the dump truck driver and her had a polite conversation. She took a photo, headed back to her car, attracting the attention of some protesters. You've probably seen some of these videos. You don't. I'm sorry. But during these riots and protests, you do not as a white person get out of your car. I mean, you are asking for some kind of confrontation. That's the sad fact of the matter. We've seen too many videos of things just going awry. And um, the, cr- the crowd grew increasingly aggressive toward her, according to her, shouting at her, pounding on the car's windows and threatening her. She called 911. Eventually, the protesters gave her space back up to back up one block, but was surrounded again. Police eventually came and helped her get away after making sure she was OK. Bettinger was unaware of the social media fervor until a friend sent her Bryant's Twitter thread. Um, so this is what this is what she claimed happened. And then she said, of course, that her life was basically a living hell after these accusations. She was followed in the grocery store, had to use a family friend's car because people were searching for her car. Because remember, Bryant had posted videos and pictures of her license plate. Uh, The school tried to kick her out of her own major. We already heard that she was... um, that she was expelled with a ban, so she was actually able to stay, but it was like, if you get another strike, you're actually kicked out. Even as all classes were virtual via Zoom at the time, her cohort refused to be in the same virtual class as her, so the class was officially changed to an asynchronous course. Um, One individual from her cohort compared her to a rapist. All right. Um, So then, as they go through this trial... They find out that there is no corroboration. And actually, the witnesses there cannot verify anything that Bryant accused Bettinger of. They offer testimony inconsistent with the original claims that she made. And um, still, around 3 or 4 a.m. after this trial by the UJC, the trial panel still found Bettinger guilty. She was sentenced to 50 hours of community service with a social justice organization, three meetings with an assigned professor to teach her about police community relations, an apology letter to Bryant and the expulsion in abeyance. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is no different than a struggle session, right? I mean, this is no different than Mao's China. The investigation was completed in 2021, detailed how the allegations made by Bryant were not corroborated by witnesses. It ended up vindicating Bettinger. Um, there's no evidence whatsoever. And yet she, I mean, she will never get this time back. She will never get her college experience back. It's been completely marred. It's been completely ruined because we just assume that black accusers, black social justice activists are always telling the truth. And I'm not even sure if we're always concerned with the truth. I don't even know that we care really about justice. I don't know that we really care about impartiality. I think we just care about looking like we're doing the quote unquote right thing. That's wrong. I mean, Christians should stand up against this stuff. If we care about truth and we should, God does. God says that we should not defer to the poor or to the great in a lawsuit. We should not show partiality against one party and that false accusations are abhorrent to God. Actually, in ancient Israel, he said, if you make a false accusation against someone, you should get the punishment that they would have gotten if they were found guilty. That's how much he cares about false accusations. And so Christians who just go along with these racial narratives, 
who just push this idea that white supremacy is the greatest threat and that black people are consistently and constantly marginalized, pushed to the side, mistreated by these white systems, these white people in power. It's just not true today. It's just not true today. We should care about justice for all people. We should care about truth. We should care about regarding people as image bearers of God, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter what their skin color is. That does not mean that we should be lying. Actually, that means that we should not be lying because living not by lies is actually the most virtuous thing that we can do. Um, All right. That's all we got time for today. I will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. 